I'm Molly. Um, so our scripture reading today is from 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12. And if you're reading at the Bibles in the back, then that's on page 1014. And if you don't have a Bible, please take that one home because that's our gift to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as spiritual houses to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a, st- and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are chosen, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you to I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that they may speak against they may not speak against you as evildoers. They may see your good deeds and glorify God in the days of visitation. Thank you so much. Good. So, as we dive back into First um, Peter this morning, hopefully that didn't roll off the table. Okay. Um, yeah, we're going to look at, you know, Peter dives into this passage and, and uh, what he's really talking to, you know, everything about this passage is how we relate to others. And there's several aspects of that that we're going to uh, uh, dig into. Uh, you know, people are normally, all of us people are normally divided up into two different types of people. You're either a people person or not so much, right? Uh, there, there are some of you that are just your people. I mean, your people, people. Uh, my, my two oldest kids are a perfect example of this. Where uh, Molly, who just read the scripture for us, uh, she is uh, she's a great girl, uh, but she's like I was when I was a teenager, very content with just a very small handful of friends, and also content to just kind of sit around in, in, in the bedroom, reading books, listen to music, that sort of thing. Didn't need to be around people all that all all the time to be. Uh, you know, whatever, entertained or, or whatever. Uh, and then contrast Molly with Isaiah, my 16-year-old son. And uh, if he is not around another person outside of our family, uh, then uh, he is he is literally pulling out his hair and he's so bored and everything else. And I mean, he's just got to be around people. Uh, and, and, and we t- all kind of tend to fall into those kinds of categories, whether, you know, are you a people person or are you not? Uh, I used to say years ago, uh, that, you know, being a pastor uh, would be amazing if it weren't for all the people. And, uh, and so, <laughs> uh, you know, like if I could be like a radio pastor or something like that, that'd be, that'd be amazing. Uh, that, that was at other churches, of course. I haven't said that since I've been in Dixon. Um, but, uh, but anyway, no, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, like I said, I'm a little bit more like Molly. I'm, I'm happy with, uh, with a small handful of good friends and, 
and I don't have to be at every party or anything like that. And, uh, and, and here's the thing, if, you know, if you work around other people, if you're, you know, engage people in the community, whether it's through little leagues or through your neighbors or PTA or whatever, you know, whatever community organizations you're a part of, uh, you, you know the truth of, of what I said earlier is that sometimes being around people can just be flat out difficult. It can just be, it can just be really tough to, um, like, like, honestly, the truth of the matter is, you know, I made the, the, the joke about being a pastor, but the truth of the matter is being a Christian would be really easy if it wasn't for all the people. Like, I mean, like, be, like, be it, like following God would be a piece of cake if, if it weren't for all those people that tend to tick us off and make us sin. And, uh, you know, and so, so it's like, it's like when it, it, we are constantly confronted with uh, uh, difficult people, it, at, either at work or at, you know, like I said, the organizations that you're a part of or whatever, difficult people are just a part of life. They're just a part of life. There's no way you can get around difficult people. In fact, there are entire industries now, entertainment industries built around the fact that it's fun to watch people deal with difficult people. Are there not? I mean, every afternoon talk show is just people getting up in each other's face and you don't know me and you know, whatever. And I mean, it's just, it's just drama after drama after drama. And, and, uh, and we're, you know, a lot of people you know, are, are just glued to that sort of thing and they just love watching that sort of thing. They love watching people kind of blow up at each other. And it's a whole industry uh, because it's difficult to deal with people from time to time. It's just flat out difficult. And here's what I want to challenge you as, as if you could, now it's really easy. Now this is part of this, this whole problem I'm talking about. It's really easy for us to think of a person who, uh, you know, tends to have a lot of drama in their life or tends to always be at odds with another person. Every one of us can think of a person who, who is like that. But could I, could I get you to push all of those thoughts out of your mind for, for, for the next, you know, 30 minutes or so and just entertain entertain the fact that could it be that I'm one of the, not me, but you, I'm, I'm all of us. <laughs> Everybody go to the first person like I'm doing. I'm demonstrating for you that I'm one of those people that, um, that maybe has a difficult time getting along with other people. I mean, it's really easy to say, to kind of point at all the people in your life that cause you grief and, and, uh, and kind of, you know, bag on them. Um, but but here, here's what, what, what I've come to know. If, if, if you have trouble uh, with difficult people at work, if you have trouble with difficult people in your neighborhood, if you have trouble with difficult people in your church, in your family, in the organizations that you're a part of, just entertain this thought for just a second. You're the common denominator in all those things. You're the common denominator in all those things. And, and, and it doesn't make you a bad person, only if you just choose to ignore that and carry on. We all have issues. We, in fact, I, th- I believe every one of us at one point or another in our life probably have been that difficult person, <clears throat> every single one of us. And so how you address that and how you move forward is really the key. And, and how we relate to other people in our life is so key as, as, a, as a major part of our faith, a major part of identifying ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ, a major part of not bringing disrepute onto the faith or onto the name of Jesus, that sort of thing. And so it's important the way that we deal with people. If you're a person that tends to go around 
um, you know, just always fighting for your rights, always fighting for your point of view. Everything is, you know, I'm going to, you just, you just battle, battle, battle through every little situation. It doesn't, it, does, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how big, how small you're going to battle, battle through to get your way. Like you're a person that's known as, as, uh, you know, that he or she can get their way in anything because they never shut up. They always voice their opinion. They always get out there and put it out there. If it, you know, that, that may not be the best course of action for every situation in your life. If you're a person that's out there constantly uh, talking about other people, gossiping about other people, um, that sort of thing, uh, that's not the best course for your life. If you're a person that's constantly offended by everything everybody does, uh, then you know, there could be some better... Uh, choices, some better way of thinking that you could be doing there. And so that's kind of what we want to talk about today. So Peter kind of opens up this can of worms for us. <coughs> and, and I believe this passage teaches us about three different things. It teaches a whole lot more than that, but we're going to focus on three different things. So uh, in that passage that Molly just read, <coughs> one of the things that he says there, <coughs> pardon me, starting with the very beginning there of chapter two, is uh, he says, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And then he says, like, he uses this analogy, like newborn infants, like babies, long for that pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. But you've got to grow. And so here's the deal. That one of the biggest challenges of the Christian life is honestly just this uh, process of growing up, of growing up. You guys have heard me quote before that uh, it's such a great quote. Rick Warren says um, that, you know, you can basically boil all marriage counseling down to two words, grow up grow up. And it's, it's so true. And I would say that it, all the drama in all of the relationships of our life, whether it's a marriage or not, uh, I think can be boiled down to that as well. Grow up. Now, as parents, you, you see it in your kids. It's so easy to see in your kids where, where you know, there are immaturity issues that cause them to, uh, to not be able to uh, communicate effectively and in a way that's peacefully and that sort of thing. The problem with that is oftentimes, and you know this is true, our parents, you dive right down in that with them and are just as immature. It's so easy to kind of jump, you know, when you see somebody, we, we give up our high ground all the time. Do we not? As parents, we, we constantly, you know, it's just, we give up that high ground and we just dive down in the pit and get dirty and nasty, you know, with with uh, whoever. And, and we, we have to, Put the, you know, he, Paul or Peter here says, put that, put that way of life away, put away all that, that envy and the slander and the, and the, just the bad mouthing and everything, put that away. And then he says, just grow up, grow up. I, I want to bring out this point too. It's, it's the first of your blanks there in your, in your, in your sheet that the greatest mark, I, I believe this to be true. The greatest mark of spiritual maturity is the ability to maintain healthy relationships. The greatest mark of spiritual maturity is the ability to maintain healthy relationships. We, we can be in and out of healthy relationships all the time, but the ability to maintain those relationships is key because every relationship, big or small in your life, uh, eventually is going to have a hiccup. Eventually is going to have a situation where you're not happy with that person, uh, where uh, you've been offended by you know whatever. Eventually something's going to happen to cause some uh, some drama, some pain, some offense, some whatever, and and how you move forward is key in pointing to how spiritually mature that you are. And we've all seen, especially in a small town, we've all seen people get offended in a church situation, 
and then bounce out of that church into another church. And, they're, and man, that's the greatest church they've ever been to. And it's meeting all their spiritual needs. And they're just growing so much. And, and then, you know, two years later, they're offended again. And they bounce out of that church into another church. And it's the greatest church they've ever been to. And they're, all their spiritual needs are getting met. And, man, that last church was just, you know, it was just uh, an immature church. And there was dysfunctional and everything else. And, but this, this is, you know, this one's, the, the, you know, the pie-in-the-sky church. And then they're there for two years. And then they get offended and they bounce out of that. It just, it just happens. It happens. You see it again. It, it, you see it uh, in that kind of um, uh, microscope of small town life, even more prevalently than I think you do in, in other places. But, but absolutely, that kind of stuff happens. And we have to be people that, when uh, offense happens, that when uh, um, a disagreement happens uh, in any kind of relationship that we're in, that we consider um, how Christ would have us respond to that situation. Because here's, here's the thing. There's absolutely nothing wrong. Get this in your mind, because some of you aren't, aren't here yet. Some of you are, are peacemakers. How many peacemakers in the room? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay. Right, okay, so good. So some of you are, are major peacemakers. Like, you just want to keep the peace and, 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 and uh, you know, uh, the, the path of least resistance when it comes to relationships and that sort of thing. And, and, and you guys know as peacemakers what your tendency is, is to... When things get to a boiling point that you have neglected it so long, your tendency is not to, well, your tendency may be to boil over and blow up. But for most of you, actually, your tendency is probably more likely just to simply walk away. Walk away. I can't do this anymore. It's time for me to walk away. When if you had just dealt in a healthy way with that relationship, in a way that was Christ-honoring in that relationship, the result could have been something actually very beautiful very beautiful. Um, and we have to be careful in the way that we move forward when difficult relationships rise up. We want to be people who um, can disagree well. There's not, it's not wrong for us to disagree with another person. In fact, I think some of the greatest things often come out of disagreement. Some of the, some of the most healthy situations and healthy things often come out of disagreement. And I think as a church, let's just take our church as an example. If we can learn the art of disagreeing well, we'll be one of the strongest, most healthy churches around. Because I think that, that, that friction that happens when, when two people or a group of people or whatever disagree. And by the way, this is a very, this is, you know, our church has always been a church that has, uh, been strong when it comes to unity. And so I feel like a little bit I'm preaching to the choir here. You guys do tend to do this pretty well. But it, we need these healthy reminders as well. And so when that friction happens, uh, as it will happen, let's say, in church life, um, you are presented with kind of a crossroads, kind of a fork in the road. Will I either blow up or walk away? Or will I hang in there through this disagreement and know that I really do care about this person and, and, you know, it's okay that we disagree and let's just have a spirited conversation around it or whatever and get all the facts and all the opinions out on the table and then make the best decision moving forward. My, my, my staff here at the church and, and the elders here at the church, they hear me say this all the time. I, I, I invite them to wrestle with me all the time. We don't literally physically get out on the floor and wrestle. That'd be awesome if we did. Uh, but, but what we do is, is, is that it's, it's kind of an open-door policy uh, in those leadership meetings that if you have a difference of opinion, then uh, not only should you, I mean, not only can you voice that opinion, but you should 
voice that opinion. It's expected that you will. And, and, and in, because in the giving of differences of opinion and getting all the opinions out on the table and all the ideas out on the table, we are able then to, to kind of look at all of those ideas and all of those opinions and all of those uh, feelings maybe that we weren't thinking about and things like that and then make a better decision uh, than if I just had a table full of yes men and yes women. And so... We have, I, I believe, in our church, and I'm not that we've been perfect or anything like that, but I believe that uh, more often than not, strong decisions have come to the forefront of our decision-making because uh, we're not afraid to wrestle through an issue. We're not afraid to wrestle through an issue. And there have been times, that, you know, in, in, in case with, the, with our elders, over the years, I've been here seven years now, um, and, and there have been there have been situations, say, around a budget issue. You know, every year we work on the budget, and there have been times when uh, we got that budget right the first time. There was no resistance. It was like, yeah, that's that seems that makes sense to everybody, and, and it makes you know it feels like the right thing to do, and let's let's move that forward. And then there's been times when it's literally taken us five or six weeks to work through that, and multiple meetings, and kind of differences of opinions, not fights or anything like that, just not agreement. And then what we have found most often is that when we can finally all kind of agree together, that's where the spirit of the Lord is. That's where, and, and, but sometimes that doesn't come easily. Sometimes it doesn't come easily. And so I want to encourage you all as, as, uh, as living hope church as well to take that kind of attitude into, uh, all the areas of your life, grow up and be, learn to handle, uh, conflict, learn to handle, difficult people in a way that is mature, not in a way that seeks out your own rights and your privileges and your voice and things like that, but instead a way that will honestly and genuinely listen, a way that will not, when you come into that relation, not assume that you're right or that you're the smartest person in that conversation, uh, but instead that you will genuinely listen, that you will pray about that feedback, that you will consider it and roll it around your head for a little while and then come back and work through a, a, a way that is, or a, um, a, you know, a, a solution, a resolution that is, that is meaningful, that it feels like the Holy Spirit is wrapped up in, that it feels like you've been guided through that process. Because uh, the, the fact of the matter is, I was telling somebody this the other day, there have been so many times, because I'm not, uh, because you guys have heard me say before, I tend to be kind of more of a selfish personality. And, 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 I, and I'll, I'll, be, I'll freely admit that, you know, there are times that people do things that really get under my skin. And, and, and my reaction oftentimes is, oftentimes is um, man, I'm going to go meet with that person and I'm going to let them have it. I'm going to let them have it. This is wrong. The way they behaved is wrong. And I'm just going to go let them have it. And 99.9% of the time what happens is somehow through the grace of God, that between that thought and the actual conversation with that person, when I actually end up opening up my mouth and speaking, somehow the Holy Spirit will begin to speak through me and say words that were not the words I planned to say. <laughs> that were just not the words that I planned to say. Instead, instead I, I'm, I'm speaking uh, with patience and with, with uh, grace, and I'm listening a little harder, and I'm digging into motives a little bit harder and things like that, and I'm trying to find out where, you know, where the conflict has arisen from. And, 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 and when that happens, when I allow the Holy Spirit to work through me instead and kind of push Jeff out of the way and do the work that only, for me anyway, only the Holy Spirit, some of you guys are naturals at this, not, that's not me, but can kind of work through me despite myself. I usually walk out of those meetings going, you know, glory be to God, that was all God, not me. 
that was all God and not me. And I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit kind of bullies me around from time to time, pushes me out of the way and says, no, you, you need to step back and let me handle this. Um, and we need to be sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit leading in our life that we will put aside our egos and put aside our offenses and put aside, you know, things in our life that, that often kind of tend to make us more emotional and just follow the Holy Spirit in this. Um, uh, before I move on, just a couple of little things. You've heard me say before, it's not mine, I think Dr. Phil said it, that you know, hurt, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And if you've been hurt by someone, chances are there's hurt going on in their life as well. Chances, it's, not, it's generally not some sort of random attack against you. Uh, most generally speaking, it's because they've got some sort of hurt going on in their life as well. And if you can dig into that a little, you know, and, and you've got to be careful. You gotta, it's it's got to be done with love and with grace. It can't, you know, because it can, if you're not careful, it can come across as condescending. And who hurt you that you would do this to me? You know, that sort of thing. You don't want to go there necessarily. Uh, but, but if you just dig into conversation a little bit, uh, you know, harder, a little bit more intentionally, uh, then a lot of times you'll find out what the motives were of that offense, and, and, and suddenly it makes sense. Suddenly it's like, okay, I can deal with this underlying issue uh, because, you know, the emotional thing, it's kind of hard to deal with. And so be, be careful to, to not always uh, assume that you're the only injured party, uh, that it could be that, you know, there, there, there's two people there that are injured uh, trying to speak to each other. Um, let, let, let's move on. Verse 5, he says this. There's such a great little phrase, another analogy he gives. <coughs> uh, he says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. I love that image of building up a house. And he's saying that you as a church are being built up as this spiritual house. And, and I like that image of building because it, 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 it's an image of work. And, and what I want to, you know, one of, the, one of the last things that Jesus prayed for before he went to the cross was that we as a church would be unified. That was, that was the, I mean, you think of the weight of the world on Jesus' shoulders in this moment where he's getting ready to go and sacrifice himself for the entire world. And the thing that is heaviest on his mind is God, make them one as we, even as we are one. Make them one even as we are one. Unify them together. He taught at another instance that they'll know your mind by the love that you have for each other. Unity is a, a really important thing to Jesus, to Jesus. Forgiveness is a really important thing to Jesus. And, and, and so the second point I want to make there is this, that unity is worth working for. Unity is worth working for. And sometimes I'll even say that unity is worth fighting for. Sometimes, just in the same way that in a marriage, that, that sometimes you have to fight to get to a healthy resolution. You kind of got to get into it with each other, let that friction take place, and, and finally you can get through to the other side. Into a health, same thing in just our relationships with each other as a church or your relationships in the community, that sort of thing. Unity is worth working for. And so it, it doesn't always, in fact, I would say any church, any group, any organization, any family, that you would look at that looks unified, that looks like, man, they really care about each other. They're on the same page. They're moving forward together. They kind of locked arms or partners and that, you know, what they're doing, that sort of thing. That that did not happen by accident. It happened very intentionally. And I can guarantee you there was friction that made them even more unified down the road. Friction that made them even more unified down the road. And Christ is all about our unity. Christ is all about our unity. There's a great book. Phil turned me on to this book called uh, The Bait of Satan. I think it's John Bevere. Is that the John Bevere? 
Uh, great little book. You should pick it up. Um, and in this book, uh, one of the, the points that he makes is, is this, that the, the offense, he calls offense, the bait of Satan. In other words, that Satan can use our, um, our, um, uh, you know, our, our likelihood to be offended in situations to get us off track, Right? And this is what I'm going to tell you right now. As much as I love Living Hope Church, as much as you love Living Hope Church, I guarantee you if you're here long enough, the day will come when somebody in this church will offend you. They will. It's coming. Brace yourselves for it. Get ready for it. It's just, and it doesn't, it's not because we're a bad church. It's just because we're a church made up of people. We're humans. We all have that human nature. And eventually somebody (coughs) is going to, either unintentionally offend you or, uh, or just in a weak moment intentionally offend you. It's just part of human nature. And this is what, we, uh, what our posture needs to be when we are um, approached with uh, situations where we are offended. We have to choose, get this, we have to choose not to be offended. Not to be offended. It's a choice of believing the best about each other. That when someone offends, you know, because you guys know as well as I do, 95% of the time when you're offended, that person almost always did not even realize they offended you. But, you know, they said something, they weren't thinking of how you would receive it. It was just, it was an innocent statement. Or maybe it was a, a you know, just an insensitive statement, but they didn't realize it would land on you as hard as it landed on you or what, whatever. 95% of the time, that person did not mean to offend you. And so it's this, it's this choice of moving forward in such a way that we, I will not be offended. I will not be offended. There's this great story of um, when um, John the Baptist was in jail. He was getting ready to be uh, beheaded. Uh, King Herod had put him in jail. And he sends one of his followers to Jesus to ask, are, are you the Messiah? Are you, are you the one that has been promised to us? And that sort of thing. And uh, Jesus' response to him is, yes, that's me. But he has this little phrase in his response where he says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Well, it's such a weird phrase in this response to, to John. You know, John's in prison why would Jesus you know, send this weird phrase back to him, blessed are the ones who aren't offended by, by me? And I think this is what Jesus was saying. It would have been so easy. I mean, John didn't make it out of I mean, G, get this. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Deliverer, he is walking physically on earth at the time in the same region where John is about to be executed. And he doesn't break him out. He doesn't break him out. He doesn't get him out of that situation. In fact, John goes to his death and gets his head cut off. And Jesus' reply to him is, blessed are the ones who, who aren't offended by me. I think what he's trying to say to, to John is, in this is, is uh, I, I know the work that you did in preparing the way for me. I know how faithful you have been to our Father. You're not going to get out of this situation, but, but don't be offended because I think what he was trying to say is your reward is not here. Your reward is, is coming. All this has to happen for, for some sort of reason that God knows. Don't be offended. Don't let it get you, don't let it, you know, make you step away from your faith. Don't let it discourage you. Don't be offended by it. Instead, just continue to be, continue to be faithful. 
I mean, that's a hard, hard, I, I, hard situation. I mean, can you imagine if you're in a situation like that and you know Jesus is kind of walking around outside physically, literally walking around outside, he could do whatever he wanted to break you out of that situation. It's just not in the cards for you. It's not in God's will for you. That's probably a better way to say that than cards, isn't it? It's just not in God's will for you. That you his, his plan for you is something different, something different. Blessed is the one who's not offended. And I think that when, in our relationships with each other, it's kind of the same thing. I'm going to choose. I'm not going to be offended. I'm going to believe the best about everyone. I'm going to, you know, and, 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 and this, is, this is the way I do it. You do it your way. This is the way I do it. When something kind of rubs me the wrong way, there's a little friction there. I wait. I wait. I don't respond immediately. And if after a few days or a week, I'm not even hardly thinking about it anymore, it's not bothering anymore, I just let it roll away. I just let it roll away. If after a few days or a week, it's still just grinding at me, it's, it's becoming a, a distraction for me, then I know I need to have a conversation with that person. And we sit down and we talk it through and, hey, you know, this happened and it kind of bothered me and I wanted to talk to you about it and, and uh, you know, clear the air. And, and, uh, and, and Because here's the thing, that when, especially with us as a church family, and again, you can apply this to any relationship in your life, but let's just talk about us. And your relationship with your church family, these relationships, these brothers and sisters in Christ that we have here, the unity that we have with each other, it is worth working for. It is worth preserving. It is worth it sometimes sometimes even fighting for. It's worth it. Don't let stress and tension and offense and things like that destroy the good beautiful thing that God is trying to do in this church. Amen? Amen. We want to be strong, mature, grown-up followers of Jesus Christ who will continue to drive forward with each other with a common mission and a common goal, even if we disagree, even if we're, we, we feel some sort of sense of offense or whatever, we're not going to let that get us off track. We're not going to let that get us off track. because Why? Because our mission is greater than our emotion. Our mission is greater than our ego. Our mission is greater than any offense that we could pile on each other. And so we're going to make a choice. I'm going to, I'm, I, I choose not to be offended. I'm going to drive forward. I'm going to drive forward. Now, you're not going to be 100% perfect. You make that choice today, you're not going to be 100% perfect at it. It's just not going to happen. There are going to be times things are going to grind at you and and, uh, and you may respond well, and you may not respond well sometimes. But be grown up, again, be grown up enough. Here, here, you know, let's go back to the relationship with the kids. Uh, as a dad, if I find that I did not respond well to one of my kids, that I responded in a way that was uh, sinful or wrapped up in my own ego or whatever else, I need to be grown up enough to go to my child and say, I was wrong and I'm sorry. I was, even if they were wrong first even if they were wrong first. And the same thing is true in our relationships with each other. Even if they were wrong first, if you sinned in your response, you need to be grown up enough to go, you know what, I let that get to me and I, I did something or said something I regretted and uh, I wanted you to know that and I apologize. And just, I want you to forgive me. Would you please forgive me? And you don't have to say, but you were kind of a jerk too. <laughs> you don't have to say that. Chances are they're, they're going to say that on their own, right? And if they don't, I'm not going to be offended. I'm going to drive forward. I'm going to do what, what I feel like God's leading me to do. 
There's a, a, hit this uh, last point uh, down at the bottom of that section that we just read. <coughs> he, he ends it with this weird uh, kind of uh, teaching where he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, this is verse 11, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, in other words, among outsiders, outsiders of the church, honorable. Keep it honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Now, this is something, again, Peter's teaching here of kind of, of relationships with others and dealing with sometimes difficult people and things like that. Um, even though our faith is not a legalistic faith, even though our faith is not earned by good deeds and you know, uh, you know, high morals and things like that, that it's a free gift of God, it's the grace of God, our conduct does matter. Do not miss this point. And the point he's trying to make is this. Our actions can either demonstrate our faith or they can destroy our witness. Our actions can either demonstrate our faith or they can destroy our witness. The way, now, let me, you know, for those of you who tend to pile on some sort of legalistic train, um, and it's a fine line, it's kind of a, it's kind of a tightrope thing that we do when we, when we do this, you know, thing with morality and legalism and things like that. Um, It's doubtful that anybody is ever going to come to you and say, you know, we were at a party once together and because you didn't drink a beer, I gave my life to Jesus. That's probably not going to happen. I don't know. Anything can happen. People come to Christ in really weird ways. I mean, our Gideons have tons of stories about them. That, that, it's doubtful that that's going to happen. But you know what? The way we respond in what we've just been talking about to difficult people, people will see that and they, their ears will perk up. They will take notice of that. They will take notice of that. And other situations, you know, I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't abstain from, you know, vices and things like that. You, you follow, you know, the, the scripture, you follow the law of the land, you follow the Holy Spirit's leading in your own life on those issues, and you respond appropriately. And we live our lives as people who are set apart. So now we don't like to do that. We don't like to feel or, or put out this vibe that we are somehow set apart. Uh, but that's what the Bible teaches. You're a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood. There's something different about us, or at least there should be. And, the wor- and, and make no mistake about it. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the world around us is watching. They are watching. And the way we live our lives does matter. A lot of people kind of come to church with a different mask on than they wear in their everyday life, where they kind of clean themselves up for church. And, and then, you know, when they're around their work friends or around their neighbors or whatever, then they're kind of their true selves and they let their hair down and they, you know, maybe do things they wouldn't do around their church friends, you know, that sort of thing. Jim Gaffigan, the comedian, has this great line where he's talking about when two groups of friends of yours meet each other and you're like whispering to the other one like, these people don't know I drink. You know, that sort of thing. And, and uh, you know, so you got to prep, prep the other group of friends for the other group of friends. And, and, uh, and so we, sometimes church people have a tendency to do that. Can I challenge you actually to do the opposite? If you're going to let your hair down, let your hair down around us. 
If you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna relax and breathe a little bit and not feel so, you know, pent up or, or you know, whatever, do that around us. And when we take our faith out to the streets and into our workplaces and around people who are outside the faith, I'm not saying you have to be perfect. I'm just saying, as, as, as Peter says in this passage, to live your life in such a way that it doesn't cause someone, to, uh, that, that you're not a barrier between someone coming to faith. Because we've all heard, I mean, you hear it in the news, you hear it in conversation. Well, if that's what a Christian does, I don't want any part of that. Right? Even though every one of their friends are a part of that, you know, that sort of thing. And so, but they're watching. And there is, and, and yes, there is a double standard. They're watching you closer than they're going to watch other people. There is a double standard. You don't got to be perfect. In fact, sometimes displaying a little imperfection or letting life happen in a natural way and how you deal with your own imperfections can be a witness all in itself, but it has to be done honestly. You have to live your life authentically. And you have to make a decision that I'm not perfect, but I'm trying the best I can to be like Jesus. I'm trying the best I can to be like Jesus. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit continue to smooth out the rough spots and change me into the person that he wants me to be. I'm not perfect. I'm not there yet. But by the grace of God, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And one day, one day, not in this life, but one day, he'll make me perfect. He'll make me perfect. It can feel oftentimes like a lot of weight on our shoulders when we think about you know, people watching our conduct and things like that. And that's not the message I'm trying to, to, to preach to you this morning, that you have to walk around on eggshells or anything like that. I, I, I just want us to, to kind of stop living under the illusion that our actions don't matter, because they do. They do. And so, you know what? Um, there might be decisions I would make that um, they might even be harmless decisions. Um, but some of those decisions I, I kind of give up my freedom on uh, for the sake of those who might be watching. For the sake of those who might be watching. Um, I want to challenge you to do the same thing. The way we engage each other, the way we especially, like Jesus said, they'll know your mind by your love for each other. People are watching. People are watching. The way all this works together. It's all part of God's plan to sanctify us, to make us more like himself, and then also at the same time draw a watching world into what we have. That there should be something so attractive about the relationships that we have with each other that the world around us goes, man, these people really care. They really care about each other. They really, they really love our community. They really, I mean, I don't get a sense that it's fake. They're not perfect. You know, they make mistakes and, you know, they live their lives honestly and authentically. But there's something about the way these people are living their lives that I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. We draw people in. The Holy Spirit draws people in to relationship with God through all of these factors that we've been talking about today. He makes us more like himself through all of these factors that we've been talking about today. So submit yourself to him. Put your ego aside and strive to live life in a way that brings him honor and glory. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you're good and your word is good to us. And uh, this is one of those situations where it's difficult, not difficult to understand, but definitely at times difficult to follow. 
And uh, but God, give us the the faith and the grace to uh, to live up to these words. Uh, help them to take root in our souls and in our lives. And um, we want to be yours, and we want to love each other uh, in a way that brings you glory. We want to conduct our lives uh, in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces in a way that brings you glory. Uh, glorify yourself through us. Glorify yourself through us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.